Welcome. The Leadership Lesson Podcast inspires leadership growth in everyone. We have enthralling conversations with top leaders in order to provide you with life-changing lessons. My name is Caleb Nichols. I'm a speaker, a pastor, and a family man. My hope is to inspire spiritual depth and leadership growth in you. I love to sit down with leaders from a variety of fields, hear their personal stories and leadership experiences. This creates the podcast. Enjoy. All right, thanks for being here with us, uh, Tim, on the Leadership Lessons podcast. So we're going to talk a bit about uh, COVID and the uh, crazy 18 months we've been living through so far with this pandemic. And uh, really excited to hear from you a bit today. Really appreciate uh, your time and uh, having a man of your uh, stature and uh, wisdom talk to us. So um, I do want to just frame it a little bit before we get into it. Uh, This podcast is really about uh, it's about leadership, it's about navigating cultural issues, helping people learn, understand. So I'm really coming with a open heart today uh, to ask questions and, and hear from Tim. Uh, the topic we're going to talk about today may be a little bit uh, uncomfortable for some because uh, it's a quite a diver- div- div- uh, divisive, that's what I'm looking for, divisive uh, issue at the moment. Uh, vaccinations, masks, conspiracy theories lockdowns, government compliance, all these kind of things. So, uh, yeah, really interested uh, to jump into it. So, first of all, Tim, what, what what do you think COVID and this challenge that we're living through, I mean, it's a global challenge, but what do you think is particularly, uh, what has COVID particularly revealed to us uh, about Australians, about Christians? Uh, what has it kind of shown up, strengths, weaknesses in, in humanity? What have you seen? Well, it's uh, global, uh, the profound invisibility of a virus that has shown the whole world is biologically connected, interdependent, equally vulnerable, socially profoundly intimately connected uh, so that uh, aerosol uh, transmission when I pass a complete stranger in the street is possible. Um, has been quite a shock because we're used to um, a notion of individualism uh, in, in Christian faith. Uh, certainly the individual is very important. I re- need to respond to Jesus. I need to repent. I need to be forgiven. I need to own responsibility. But in Christian faith, that's very different to individualism. Individualism really is a uh, enlightenment notion. John Stuart Mill gave it to us. He basically said, um, you can have as much freedom as you want to do what you want, as long as you don't impinge someone else's freedom. And that was really an overturning of uh, classical categories of morality. Mm. And sense of that actually, Uh, My freedom sexually uh, may affect my primary commitments to my family, my uh, kids. uh, uh, Well, uh, if you're consenting and you're both adults, of course, it's your freedom. That's individualism. Mm. That's very different to uh, taking seriously uh, a personal faith uh, and the integrity of the individual. And uh, I fear that individualism has... uh, corrupted some of the Christian thinking. Uh, And you better be careful what you wish for if you're uh, on the side of the Enlightenment uh, people who pushed an individualism. 
And and where where have you really seen this individualism come out during COVID? It's all about me. It's about my rights. It's about my freedoms. It's how dare anyone ask for a restraint on me and how dare they. And it goes to my religious freedom. So I suddenly frame it in terms of I'm only accountable to God. Uh, Well, for a start, God is a trinity, a community God, Father, Son and Spirit. If we are made in the image of that God, we are made for community. We cannot get away from that. Uh, as I often uh, reflect in Genesis 1, God declares over and over in creation, it is good, it is good, as he creates. He pauses, says it's good. The first time something's not good in Genesis is when he says, it is not good that man is alone. Yeah. And uh, we have the story of the creation of Eve and uh, And then the relationship of those three in a garden as priests worshipping God, as royal uh, governors, uh, uh, naming animals, subduing and um, giving order to the earth. So that idea of um, priesthood and royalty is in relationship with a community God. It's not a solo individualistic act. And the cracks that have appeared often in Christian faith um, that have surprised me are the cracks where really enlightenment ideas of John Stuart Mill have been dressed up uh, as my sole individual uh, freedom to God, not to others. Yeah, true. Can we go back a bit further than enlightenment? And uh, like something that comes up for me that I think is really interesting with all the things you see from Christians online and all the comments about this stuff seems to be this kind of ancient Gnosticism, you know, which was an early uh, church heresy that had to be dealt with and this uh, special knowledge that an individual has or this special insight, spiritual knowledge, understanding. Um, I think maybe Gnosticism, you could tie a little bit to our modern uh, individualism uh, of, of I at, at the centre and my understanding and how I see things and everyone else who doesn't see it my way is just ignorant and blind and hasn't uh, come across that yet. That, what, what, what would you say to that? Absolutely. So the Greek word gnosis means knowledge and that uh, Gnostic movement had the inside knowledge that uh, we alone have the truth. Um, Look, in Christian uh, terms, hope is not knowledge. In Christian terms, meaning that God is in control isn't certainty. It still takes faith. And Gnosticism was knowledge and certainty, and we alone have the truth. The very opposite of hope and meaning, which Christian faith uh, do do give, uh, but hope and meaning uh, require faith and uh, humility uh, and particularly as I was saying a sense that this is God's world all others in God's world we are socially and spiritually related to that's what the virus has taught us we're biologically related to them and therefore uh, my secret knowledge that gives me wonderful freedoms uh, not to take them into account uh, really is a heresy as you say Mm. It's it's interesting how the affluence that we have in our Western culture and in Australia 
you know, there maybe hasn't been anything that's put it under too much pressure recently, but this pandemic has really put uh, our culture under pressure. As you say, we're all connected. We're all connected in this health issue. We're all connected biologically. And uh, it, it really, it, it, it's, fascin it's a fascinating uh, survey of human nature, the fact that COVID's put us in, it backed us into a corner. It's fascinating to see what comes out of people, what people say, how people act. You know, I, I've looked at myself and how I respond, and it gives you an interesting insight when you're when you're under pressure. And when we're all under pressure together, uh, it is it's really really fascinating. And I think if anything, if we can have the humility to see how we react to individually, see how we're re reacting uh, as a culture, it can really help us to see what's what's bad and what needs to be dealt with and confronted and what's good and what we can build on uh, for the future. And especially in the Christian sense, uh, what is Christ-like and what is communal, as you say, what is the church, what is the people of God, and then what is um, sinful and what draws us away from God and causes us uh, to fight and, and, and what have you. So in your article, you wrote an article in, in uh, that you sent me in Eternity News called Masking Up and Looking After Other People's Rights, Not Your Own. And you talked in there about um, morality versus moralism. Could you talk to that for a little bit? What, what did you mean by that morality versus moralism? Yeah, I often think we make the mistake of moralism, which is uh, saying uh, we uh, are obeying laws, they're God's laws, and even though we'll pay lip service to the notion of grace, we really have a notion that uh, our obedience, uh, being moral to those laws, uh, comes first. I was saying in that article, faith precedes morality. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. None of us uh, have lived up and obeyed God's laws. Uh, and the other great temptation of Christians besides individualism is moralism, mm. where we actually substitute the gospel of grace for uh, our sense of, well, I'm obeying the law or I have a special relationship with God and God, you know, he, you better notice me. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm doing the right thing. Uh, faith precedes moralism and morality, I was arguing in that article. Uh, I think uh, the most important verse in Scripture in some ways is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, for all have fallen short. And therefore, when we moralise about others, they're not obeying God's laws and uh, there's often a superiority going on uh, about my righteousness. And uh, mm. so we, we have to stay with gospel, not with moralism. Now, there are moral implications that come from faith that precedes moralism. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, faith, Romans 5.1, uh, because we are justified by faith it is the gift of god comes first before morality yeah great great so, so there's probably two sides here to the story though you've got those that condemn and are moralistic from the position of what we're talking with gnosticism and individualism and my rights and the government can't just tell me what to do uh, but then you've got the other side where potentially the moralism of condemning those who uh 
are not obeying the rules and 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 pointing the finger at those who are getting us in trouble and maybe there's a lack of grace there for the challenge that we're at or pointing the finger at Daniel Andrews and telling him he's, he's horrible and calling him all kinds of names. And I've said a little bit about those kind of things, even in my own church, um, you know, because in these kind of times, I think our opinion on what the government is doing is probably not particularly helpful uh, in comparison to actually honouring the government or leaders who are trying to lead us through a really difficult time. And there's a difference between uh, critiquing maybe uh, in order to give feedback and condemning and slandering. And I think definitely as a Christian, condemning and slandering, uh, slandering government leaders in a time like this is not, is not really going to help anyone. Uh, but of course, it's, it's an attractive prospect. I'm frustrated being at home. I'm frustrated uh, with the whole scenario. Uh, but surely a global pandemic isn't Daniel Andrews' you know, fault. So, so what would you say to the two sides? of the argument, because it's not just one way, is it? Absolutely, and there are very legitimate arguments about uh, opening up because of the mental health implications, the domestic violence implications. I feel so mm -hmm. sorry for kids who've basically missed, uh, with our sixth lockdown, two years of school. And uh, I do not know how I would cope as a parent, particularly if I was a single parent uh, in a housing commission flat with faulty, uh, internet trying to homeschool you know my kids or get them on their their lessons so there are very very legitimate arguments what i really uh want to appeal to with christians is this sense that uh we of all people should be keeping hope alive uh we of all people should understand that uh, patient suffering and joy in the midst of it is a witness to god when we look at government, we're certainly free to uh, raise our voice, but we should do that with the right tone. A lot of this is about tone. Um, the whole world at the moment, particularly the social media world, is catastrophizing. This is what really worries me. And uh, catastrophizing by meaning this government is now like the Nazis <laughs> or well, actually, no, go and have a look at what 1930s and 40s Germany was like. Um, or um, this government must be obeyed and never questioned. Well, that's all equally totalitarianism. Uh, we need tone because at one level, government at its best, not always at its best, but government at its best is the representative of our communal voice. It's saying in a democracy, we have entrusted you to make decisions for our common good. And it'll get it right, it'll get it wrong. But it is a reminder that it's common. It's going back to that uh, sense of a made in the image of a community God. And we do need to also act in common. Yep, criticism on either side, but a tone that's inquiring that's asking questions, that says, you know, if we have libertarians who've just taken over the streets uh, and governments powerless, we're not going to be good. If we have government that's so totalitarian that it doesn't allow any dissent, it's not going to be good. Let's, we, we're not in the position of that. Let's not yeah. catastrophize. Let's get the tone right. 
Yeah, really, really well said. Well, so what would you say to leaders, Tim? You know, you mentioned parents, even leaders of homes. Uh, my daughter uh, started prep last year, my second daughter. And so she's in grade one this year. And she's done less than 50% of her schooling at school, for her whole schooling career. And she's, <laughs> she's going to be in grade two soon. So it's, it's an odd, odd scenario. What would you say to anyone leading themselves, leading in a home, leading in church, leading in business? How do you navigate this pandemic? Uh, how do you navigate the conflict uh, of opinions and the and the catastrophizing and politicizing of all of these things? Do you have any practical tips there? Yeah, I think it's really important to model prayer, to model hope. This will end. To model uh, faith that God is still in control, that God hasn't given up on us. Um, to remind ourselves that faith comes into its own when you're living with profound uncertainty. So faith is the substance of things unseen, of things hoped for. And what's really difficult is just the profound uncertainty. We're in lockdown, we're out of lockdown. As someone said, what's the worst thing about a one-week lockdown? The first six weeks, uh, we, we, we are... We are living with such profound uncertainty that this really must drive us back on the resource of faith, the certainty that God is still in control. And we model that in patience, in tone, in not catastrophizing, in, in feeling still blessed. You know, I've been up on Manus Island where our refugees were and people couldn't understand on Manus and Nauru why they would sew up their lips or do desperate things. Well, they were living with profound uncertainty. Mm. Now that we're living with profound uncertainty, we might just empathise a little bit. When, mm. when you don't know, it is spirit denying and your daughter's questions are very authentic questions. But how you model that with patience and hope and prayer and faith, I think is so important. Now, this might be an odd question for you and I being being pastors and men of God, but what if you're not a Christian? Hmm. What does a leader do who's trying to do this without that, that belief system and they have a different belief system, a different worldview? Like, how do they navigate all of these things? Well, there are crossovers. Uh, the notion of common grace is that even those who do not profess Christ, God can still be at work. Common grace is an important understanding in scripture that even those who do not know Christ uh, carrying the image of God can rule. Martin Luther put it rather well, the great reformer, he said, I'd much rather be governed by a, uh, a wise Muslim than a foolish Christian. <laughs> and he was really saying that God's common grace still can guide and the spirit is still at work even where Jesus is not believed in. Uh, but what we know is that uh, those without that faith will say, well, we're relying on the health advice or the empirical evidence or the experts, and uh, that's, that's not bad. Uh, it's far better to rely on them than people who simply don't know or make it up. <laughs> um, but the human spirit uh, goes deeper and the meaning question is really hard if you don't have faith in a God 
who has not lost control, who has stopped loving, who has given up, who has abandoned us. Um, and my belief in scripture is that God is active. God is up and about. Um, I sometimes wonder when I hear Christians say God can only use our hands and our mouth. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I know what they're saying, but actually scripture says God is participating and active. And that activity can even be in those who do not name Christ, particularly those governing. It's true. It's very true. Surely God, in all of his absolute power, and the word of God, uh, as powerful that is, that is, is not uh, monopolized by just uh, those who go to church on Sunday. And I definitely agree with you. He's bigger, he's bigger than what we understand. The more I understand about God and the more I get to know him and study his word, the more I realize that uh, it humbles me because we truly don't have a monopoly. We truly there's so much to understand and he is at work in the world. And I love that. So effectively what you're saying there is even without that Christian faith that we profess, um, still offering certainty, offering hope, uh, being a, a person that's stable, that believes that we're going to get through this leading in a way uh, that, that leads us out of the uh, end of the COVID tunnel, so to speak, um, is going to be the best way forward for leaders, parents, and, and, and people in those positions. Yeah, when Jesus announced the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is breaking in, you looked around and the Romans were ruling. No one could actually mm -hmm. believe that God was becoming king. And Jesus was announcing that not in neutral territory, in hostile territory. The Romans ruled. There were Jewish revolutionaries, the zealots, who were going to use violence. There were escapists, the Essenes, who went out to the Dead Sea and said, we're just going to be in our spiritual bubble and await the Messiah and not engage. And Jesus is announcing, no, God has already become king. And uh, I see you've been doing some thinking about the Beatitudes. Well, when you read the Beatitudes, it's clear that the poor, the meek, those suffering haven't yet been blessed. This is anticipatory. This is living uh, out in faith, the uh, kingdom values, anticipating them that God is becoming king. This is what the world would look like when God rules. It's the poor, it's the meek, it's those who are persecuted. Uh, and um, that, that faith, that faith, I think, uh, marks our Christians in this time of COVID rather than being angry, shrill, just shouting about my rights. Um, we actually are anticipating what the world looks like when God has become king. Because in the resurrection, uh, Jesus is really in scripture enthroned as king. Uh, and those who are following him uh, to live out the values, the uh, the fact that evil has been dealt with in the cross, the hope in the resurrection that he has been enthroned as king. So we are living out, being royal governors and priests pointing to God, living out our vocation and our values in, in the virtues we display, kingdom virtues now. So, so what do you, let's put ourselves in the shoes of people on the other side for a moment. What, what do, would you say to Christians who do believe in the kingdom of God, 
uh, who do believe in Christ, who do believe in the Bible, but I suppose they're seeing, or what it is, appears to me, and you see a lot more than I, Tim, but what it appears to me is they're seeing COVID, the vaccinations, the lockdowns as a way of fighting, representing the kingdom by fighting against government compliance, uh, fighting against uh, individual sovereignty, you know, which God has, Jesus and God has set us free, uh, so we shouldn't be coming under uh, this kind of oppression. Look, look, but but where, where do you think they're coming from, Tim? Is there any truth in, in that train of thought? Yeah, look, the elephant in the room is that they are right in the sense that there are principalities and powers. Jesus announced the kingdom of God, not in neutral territory, but in hostile territory. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, they make a big jump. The big jump is somehow these hostile powers are well connected. They're globally connected. Bill Gates has probably got the mark of the beast and he's, uh, with the vaccine, introduced a microchip into my body when I had the vaccine. And it's Angela Merkel and it's the UN and it's the UNHCR. Let me tell you, as someone who's been in government, um, no one's that well organised to pull it off. (laughs) Most conspiracies are are stuff-ups. You know, the nationalist powers that, you know, Jesus was confronting with Rome, today are nationalist powers fighting each other. Russia and its bots, China and its bots. (laughs) Biden and even the NATO powers couldn't get the right intelligence on how fast the Taliban were going to take Kabul. This notion that there is some world well-coordinated conspiracy power I just say, apart from anything else, no, they can't pull it off. <laughs> they're, they're actually fighting each other. Um, <laughs> so it's an organisational so, issue at the end of the day. They just couldn't organise themselves anyway. <laughs> you're not on the same page. They can't stand each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but what do you what do you think it is? Why do people get down there? I've, I've asked my wife, who's a psychologist, a bit about it, and she really thinks... Um, it kind of pushes that button of mistrust in some people. Some people are probably maybe more trusting types and some are more mistrusting types. And we've obviously know a lot of people have been through some horrible things and I can definitely understand why people would be mistrusting of authorities and governments and things like this, people in power. And and maybe COVID has really pushed that button uh, of mistrust and really uh, exaggerated or multiplied um, these theories or like I feel like I'm living my childhood again back in the 80s talking about the mark of the beast and things I'm like man surely we've dealt with this I can't believe these things are rearing their head it's been fascinating that people all of a sudden have not been interested in these things Uh, you know up to you know all hours of the night on YouTube listening to these so-called persuasive uh nobodies talk about these things and um they're taking it I, I think it's just for me, maybe it's a psychological thing, the mistrust, maybe it's, I don't know, the pressures of COVID. What, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, in, in a crisis, we do see apocalyptic literature, which is what the book of Revelation is, emerge. And the crisis that produced the book of Revelation was Christians being put to the sword, uh, being poured oil poured over them and set a light to light Nero's garden. Uh, And their cry was, how long, O Lord? How long? Now, most of the uh, language in Revelation 
is actually signs saying God is still in control and they knew exactly who the coded beasts were. They knew exactly, including 666, and they knew it was the Caesar under Domitian and uh, Nero putting them to the sword. And the answer uh, with that apocalyptic literature was God is still in control. Your suffering isn't in vain. Jesus is uh, still the ruler. Um, do not lose hope and faith. So then to apply it, as we applied it through history to Napoleon and to the Pope and to the 666 and the Mark of the Beast, does say that we are in crisis, wired to go to uh, very speculative uh, interpretive uh, keys rather than the message of revelation that yes, you are suffering and yes, you're crying how long and yes, God is going to rescue you. God is still in, in, in charge. Uh, stay faithful, stay faithful. So um, that, that, that thinking is out there. It's why it's so accessible because uh, media is now so accessible. Everybody's got their own YouTube station to, to actually uh, uh, weave a wonderful story of who the, who the beast is and uh, who the whole world will bow down to. Yeah, I think I think that the again just the uh, exercise in uh, studying humans during this time has been fascinating. The theology that people are coming out with is just amazing. I just can't. I, I just it shocks me a little bit that people have the, well, I suppose the arrogance to um, put things online about interpreting interpreting Revelation and probably my favorite fav, favorite one uh, was a pastor that I saw. Um, do this whole write-up on Facebook about pharmakia, the Greek word that's used in Revelation, uh, meaning, you know, medication or like I, I assume we get the word pharmacy from, pharmacy from, from that. It, yes. Yeah. But pharmakia, pharmakia being medication and then tying that to the vaccination. And I'm like, like really, like, is there any understanding of exegesis here and just the basics of interpreting the Bible within its context and even understanding the genre of revelation as apocalyptic writing? It's not written um, for us 2000 years later in COVID. Yes, there's some uh, application of the Bible for the modern day, of course. But like you say, the application today uh, must be in line with the application back then, which must be in line with the overall story of God as told through the Bible. Uh, but people's, um, I suppose, arrogance just to nitpick scriptures and theology at the moment, it isn't helping in what you said earlier. It isn't showing that leader, uh, leadership in a way that brings hope, that brings peace, that brings faith, that brings, I feel very uncertain in this time, as I'm sure you do. But what's important for me as a pastor with my church is to bring certainty and to focus on what we know. And we, we know that God is good and we know that death is defeated on the cross. I'm not going to help my people, even if I did have some opinion on revelation, some obscure one. It's not for me to be preaching that because it's only going to be a stumbling block in this time. Uh, it's not the right time or place for those things. Totally. Look, as a Pentecostal pastor said to me, he's a pastor of a very big mega church. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from telling his name, but he said, you know, 
when I get the flu vaccine, I never asked uh, what brand and uh, what were the checks and how many people had had bad reactions when I get my Yellow River fever because they've got a big mission field to travel. I never asked the brand. And um, he said, uh, what what has changed that suddenly with pharmacopoeia, all these, all these now are totally suspect with uh, COVID and the vaccine. Um, and look, it, it goes to the inconsistencies. Um, in the US, uh, we're told that white evangelicals as a group are the most uh, likely to resist getting the vaccine and don't trust it. And white evangelicals are the most likely to uh, support ownership of guns. So when uh, an evangelical pastor said, uh, God is my vaccine, uh, the uh, immediate response uh, when he said, God protects me was, so why do you need your guns? Um, so we get all these inconsistencies, which are really a, a strange witness to the world. Yeah, it's fascinating. You said in your uh, other article, I was going to mention here, lockdown, a time for conspiracy theories, also written in Eternity News, that 49% of pastors, I think this is out of the US, frequently hear members of their congregation repeating conspiracy theories. So it's really does seem to be oddly a evangelical issue in a lot of ways, or the, the evangelical Christians are leading the charge uh, on conspiracy theories in this time, which which in my opinion is is really just opposite to what we're meant to be as Christians. Now, I, I, it really worries me in terms of a witness. It's that gnosis, secret knowledge that you were talking about, that somehow, because we're born again, we have uh, the liberty to have a secret knowledge and uh, impose it on just about everyone else. The, um, the, the bent toward that conspiracy theory, I think, is the opposite of hope and faith. I think it's, uh, it's uh, arrogating to ourselves an interpretation uh, when we should be actually handing ourselves over in humility to God. And uh, if... Um, we have that line of thinking, we'd never have a polio and injection, and yet that saved, you know, so many people, or a smallpox injection, and that saved hundreds of millions of people. Um, that, um, that jump, because uh, in this time you've got a market to appeal to the worst fears of Christians, I think is a terrible jump. So where should Christians be focusing their attention even practically, like what, what, what should Christians be doing in this time instead of getting caught on, on talking about all of these things? Well, the Christians um, were able to evangelise the whole world, turn it upside down in those first three centuries because they actually believed in the resurrection. So they said, even though staying and caring for the sick and the plagues, the plague of Gallen in 165 AD, when nearly 5 million died, Christians stayed and nursed and cared and tended, knowing that they could get the plague. But they said, we believe in the resurrection. We can take risks. We can love. We can serve. When anyone else who didn't have that faith because you've only got one life escaped and only looked after themselves. Now, there will be some who might say, oh, well, that's why I'm not having the vaccine, well, actually, no one's going to want you around nursing and caring for you, for them if they're sick, if you haven't had 
the vaccine because uh, all the evidence is it puts them at risk. So Christians need to go back to their faith. Do we believe in the resurrection? Uh, how are we going to care for those? And uh, I'm part of running our campaign End COVID for All with Micah, which is Micah 6 8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly uh, to get the vaccine to Asia, to Africa, where uh, the poor again have completely missed out uh, because Christians believe they carry the image of God. And when we say that, we don't bestow dignity on them. That is what God has done. He has mm. made them in their image. But we know humans can erode the image of God. They can put others at risk. They can infect them. They can be selfish and greedy and hoard vaccines or uh, drop bombs or do a whole lot of things. Christians anticipating the kingdom of God say, no, uh, we are the peacemakers. We are those who are meek. We are those who anticipate the kingdom of God values. That That is the witness for this moment. And so, so what do you do if you've got a leader, a pastor, your boss, who you know, embraces a radical theory? What do you do if you're, you're under that or even if there's, a, you know, there's an encouragement or an expectation uh, to come into work when you should be at lockdown or to not get vac vaccinated or maybe it's even within a social group? You know, there's a lot of the, 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 this thing has become, interestingly, it seems to have become less of a health issue and more of a social kind of keeping up with the Joneses, maybe keeping, you know, pushing your opinion type type issue as opposed to a uh, just purely a health issue that we're dealing with. You know, you know, what do you do if you're under that kind of leadership? What if your husband is like, you know, forcing you to do something or not doing something? Yeah, I, I framed in one of my articles, would Jesus have the vax? Now, I don't know, but I do know scripture says he suffered all things that we humans suffer. He was tempted, he was frail, he was betrayed, he was... I, I believe uh, that the evidence of Jesus's love for others, not putting others at risk, not saying I'm divine, I'm Superman, I'm impenetrable, I don't have to be subjected to what the rest of you are. No, he was the suffering servant. And... Uh, to a boss that says that, uh, I think the Jesus thing is, Jesus was God arriving in a person. He literally was the temple in his person. The temple in Israel was where heaven and earth meets, where God literally resides. God becoming king was Jesus arriving as Israel's Messiah and announcing that uh, this new kingdom has begun. But being fully human, suffering betrayal, uh, torture, and then uh, crucifixion to, to deal with uh, everything that's the worst fears of humans, including death. So um, my, my suspicion is Jesus absolutely would have the vax and uh, yeah. uh, do, that, do that because he was uh, subject to all things uh, like us. Mm. Yeah, it's a big question. You think of the old, uh, what would Jesus do? wristbands that that people would wear back in the early 2000s and uh but it's a confronting question and it, it was in your one of your articles uh what would jesus do would he wear a mask would he get vaccinated would he go into lockdown and, and you're right tim because if he lived today he would 
been the same scenario as us. He was a human being. He was really here. He wasn't just a spirit floating uh, across the earth without touching it. He was very much uh, on the earth. And uh, it's a really tough question. I've really avoided uh, giving my opinion on that that question because I, I think it's it's a it's a hard one. But I think it's the right question. You know that the answer may be challenging, but I think it's the right question. Is actually like anything in life, answering it through the filter of Christ, uh, a Christological answer, if you like to use a theological term. It's got to we've got to navigate the world, think with the mind of Christ, make decisions based on Christ. And the thing I suppose I can't get away with, Tim, and I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think, is that everything that Jesus did seemed to put others first. And I think that that's that's very challenging. Absolutely, the 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 message of Christianity is others. This is the uh, uh, communal God uh, going on mission, but in that Godhead, self-surrendering, loving, serving, um, taking a towel and washing feet, dirty, stinking feet. It is absolutely putting others first, and this is why Christianity is quite different. I, I don't actually even think Christianity should be just called a religion and we compare it with other religions. I think Christianity was an announcement that God is becoming king, that heaven and earth will meet, that those anticipating kingdom values are seeking to set the world right. And you set it right through suffering love, through service, through pointing to this God who has conquered uh, death. It's not the minor things of uh, would would um, G Jesus wouldn't need the vax because he's divine and he couldn't get COVID and some, somehow we go off on a trip there, therefore I'm going to rebel and not wear my mask and not think of others. It actually goes much deeper in terms of what Jesus announced this kingdom is. Mm, very good. Well, can we change... Um pace for a second what, what, what are you seeing in the government realm political rounds i know you kick around with different people and probably text message scott morrison every night and what have you <laughs> but what are you seeing at that level of, of government and it must be a real challenge like we haven't been in a situation like this for 100 years no we haven't and 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 globally i think i am just so grateful that the um the scientists uh, pulled off a vaccine. Uh, what I think the situation is now um, is we are fighting alpha, the virus alpha. We, we sorry, we are fighting the virus delta in the same way we fought the virus alpha. So when we fought alpha, there was only lockdowns. We didn't have a vaccine, you might remember. And the great hope with a vaccine was we could open up and get back to our lives normally. And then the delta variants so much more transmissible and infectious um, uh, suddenly threw us back into lockdowns and it's been a, a deep political struggle saying are we really trying just to eradicate this uh, when actually we have to start to learn to live with it even though there will be hospitalizations and some deaths but mental health and uh, community life and economic activity, the, what the, you know, the word flourishing would mean, has to go on. So I think the big political debate with government is how do we uh, 
start to live with Delta because we have other tools. It's called the vac vaccination. And uh, we can't arrive at eradication again as we uh, had as the plan with uh, with the uh, alpha alpha uh, virus before it mutated to Delta. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a real challenge, isn't it? It's real knife edge uh, stuff. Do you think that government should be doing something different right now? Do you think the approach or the transition to dealing with Delta has been too slow or we're still stuck in the past, so to speak, in the way that we're dealing with things? Or do you feel like the timeline is right and we're heading in the right direction? Yeah, so we we uh, had the luxury, which was not of other countries, of being an island continent. So us and New Zealand could immediately put up borders and achieve, and we did it brilliantly, far fewer deaths and infections because of lockdowns, because we were island continents. Now, we've discovered with Delta that's not as easy. We are then saying, oh, we've also discovered things called borders, interstate borders, whoever noticed them before, uh, that actually the health system is run by the states and the state premiers have far greater power than uh, even a prime minister. And uh, state premiers in certainly Queensland and Western Australia are saying, we're, we're going to keep our borders locked and we're going to be safe. Uh, we're not in lockdown. Uh, whereas Victoria and New South Wales are saying, We've got to learn to open up uh, as the vaccination rates gets to 70%. We can't go on this way. And yes, there will be uh, more infections, more hospitalizations, some deaths, but uh, we've got to learn to open up. So suddenly we've got a federal structural system we'd never noticed before with different powers with states <laughs> of different places. No, I don't think anyone knew we had health ministers or chief health ministers. <laughs> chief health officer. We certainly didn't know their names. <laughs> oh, where have they come from? And now they're like pop stars, aren't they? They've got social media accounts and all kinds of things. Yeah, it's amazing. So you're saying there you, you feel like we're, we're, we are transitioning in the right direction as long as I suppose we follow through and do start to open up. And, you know, my heart goes out to small businesses and ones like that. You mentioned parents schooling. I mean, you're going to have kids you know in the future we're going to realize that just missed two years of school um let alone the mental health issues and, and and what have you i think yeah in my opinion if we don't get a scurry on and don't get moving uh it, it's 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 just going to be super negative uh going forward and 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 already it looks like last year doesn't it we're in lockdown around you know august september by the time we get out, probably be Christmas, and then everyone does their Christmas stuff, and then it's going to be February before we start thinking about having any kind of life. And I just think if if that doesn't at least happen, and we keep having lockdowns into 2022, it's just uh, how are people going to survive financially, and you know, just more and more damage is going to happen. And you'd, you'd have to wonder whether the the cost benefit ratios of the lockdowns would, would, would really, you know, the scales would tip. Um, into something really negative. So yeah, final question for you, Tim, really appreciate your time today. It's been fascinating. It's been a great theological journey as well and historical journey. And it's, it's, it's great. I really appreciate the way that you always bring things back to Christ. It's so important. Uh, if we don't have that anchor, you know, how can we deal with any issues in our personal lives, let alone uh, a, a communal global issue like we're going through, but 
again, just around leaders, uh, uh, where have you seen leaders, even in government, handle all of this really well? You know, what kind of people, personalities, mindsets have really helped people in those top levels of, you know, high pressure government, CEOs, things like that handle, handle this well the last 18 months? Yeah, I, I think the uh, leaders that have handled it best are those who have kept hope alive. They've uh, also placed proper protection on uh, protecting not just yourself and your family, but others. Uh, and they've connected, you know, with employees working at home with a surprise gift that turns up and a note and uh, thinking of you. People... People just want to know that they matter, that they're seen, that um, people understand the pain uh, uh, that they're feeling. Um, and, and in faith terms, you know, believing that God still knows your name, loves you, hasn't, uh, hasn't uh, departed the scene and abandoned you is incredibly important. Um, that uh, loneliness that we're all feeling in, in lockdown well, when you know that Jesus said you'll never be left alone, that God uh, has your names inscribed on the palm of his hand, that that is just so important. Um, so the leaders that have done it best have kept the personal dimensions alive, the relational dimensions alive, the hope alive. Um, they're the ones I've seen doing it best. That's great. And how, how have you personally adjusted lifestyle-wise or with your work and what you do? Has it had a positive impact, a negative impact? Oh, look, I, I've felt very flat. Um, I've often woken up and said to my wife, what day is it? Because all the days are the same. <laughs> um, and then I've had to um, push uh, myself out of flatness with my devotions, going for a run or a swim. I still swim in the bay. It's pretty cold, but I still swim. I don't want to, but I go, I need to do this. This is healthcare. Uh, far too long sitting on Zoom. I've got a serious case of Zoomitis and uh, finding uh, it really difficult. Um, uh, funerals that uh, I've either attended or uh, Zoomed in on and just the inability to be there to hug someone in grief, to be a presence uh, physically has been really hard so uh yep but i'm i'm uh i'm we're doing okay yeah it's great oh, i appreciate sharing it personally it's it's, it's the personal impact's been massive on everyone hasn't it? it's 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 true the funerals i think those kind of things really bring uh the pandemic into sharp focus so we lost a a, a man in our church peter that we'd had for about 10 years and he'd had a lot of health issues and uh, he kind of finally passed away after a long time and we'd all really journeyed with his wife and and then it happened during I think the lockdown four or five and there would have been a memorial with hundreds of people and it ended up being a graveside with 10 family members not even you know the family members could go and yeah it's just really heartbreaking that stuff and it, it brings the reality of life and the pain of life into really sharp focus uh when we're kind of all in it together so i really appreciate your time today it's been very enlightening uh fascinating uh really helpful i think for those listening that uh will help them navigate uh during this tough time so appreciate it thank you very much i trust you were impacted by that leadership lessons podcast i would love to hear your thoughts about today's podcast please comment 
down below and please review the podcast and share it with a friend. Doing this inspires us and helps others to find the podcast. See you next time.